Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. It's 1011 Wednesday, 27th of September, 2023. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. Great to have you with us on a foggy, misty, drizzly Wednesday. We'll talk some football about 25 minutes from now. Matthew Collar from Purple Insider also has a book coming out on analytics in football, the rise of pro football focus as a a big deal in the NFL and even college football. Uh, We'll talk to him about that book and also the Vikings stumbling 0-3 start to the season and some of the issues that they've experienced. That's all coming up about 10.35 or so. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, First up, head coach of the UMV volleyball team, uh, Bulldogs home again this weekend. Jim Booz, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are we doing today? Uh, very good. We have uh, not as many issues as the Vikings do, so that's good. Good to hear. Yeah. Just, I'm just, <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about your team. Uh, the record is solid, certainly. I know you, you felt like there were some, some questions, maybe some challenges for your group as the season started. You've played now about 12 matches, whatever the number is. Do you feel like you've answered some of the questions you had going into the season? Uh, some, you know, I, I still think the challenges we, we face is just we're a little thinner from a roster depth um, perspective than we thought we were going to be heading into the fall with some injury issues along the way. Um, and so that's just going to be a challenge we face throughout the year. But, you know, really with uh, the majority of the lineup turning over in terms of returning, I should say, not turning over, but returning, um, the mystery was really just how we fit in a new person into that mix, what our leadership was going to be. And I, I think we're starting to figure some of that out, but I think some of our inconsistencies thus far, our highs, which have been high, and then our lows, which have had some low moments, I think some of that is just still searching a little bit for how we're going to lead in those moments, who's going to take on what role, and uh, what that's going to look like, especially at crunch time. Do you li- I know injuries have, have created some challenges, and we were chatting yesterday, and you said that, that it's kind of like last year where there are days where you just don't have enough people to do the things you want to do in practice. When it comes to games, do you feel like you're settling on a rotation? It seems like you've got a pretty consistent I- I- rotation that, that you've been able to stick with for the most part here early on. Yeah, for the most part, it's it's been kind of a repeat of what we did last year. And then really it's just been that position that Sidney Lanou took last year at the OH2 spot that we've had both Peyton Adink and Paige Decker primarily play. And, you know, Peyton had really been stabilizing that position and played really well there for a couple weekends in a row and really kind of as a junior looked like she was going to grab onto that job and, and keep it for the time being. And then she ended up going down with an injury up at Minot on Saturday, and that changed the whole dynamic of what the next, Monday became and uh, you know put you a little bit into scramble mode because with her out you know Paige is our only true remaining outside hitter so now you got to start figuring out well what happens if you know worst case scenario occurs and you lose either CN or or a Paige on the outside you've got to have someone who you can throw in there so Monday was what we called experimentation Monday where we had Madeline Getzkow, a lefty right side freshman playing some outside. We had Kylie Broughton, who's kind of our backup middle right side on the outside because we're at that point where, you know, with Mary Satori going down early and with Peyton out, we just 
we're, we're low on bodies, and we had to figure out how we would scramble if we had to. Uh, let's talk about Paige Decker a little bit. She led you in kills both matches last weekend at home against Northern State and Minnesota State Moorhead. If I remember correctly, Kristen May said she was a middle hitter in high school. She's now on the outside for you. How different fundamentally are those positions? Fundamentally not particularly different, but from a timing perspective, uh, how you're trained, how your body and your brain wants to work, everything in the middle is fast, everything is go, you know, the, the location of the ball and the height of the ball and where you are relative to that ball is so much quicker than when the ball is going to travel 20 feet across the net to get to you as an outside hitter. And so Paige is really, really programmed to, to have a pretty short approach runway, uh, to kind of wait and then go fast. And, and there's a lot of good things about what she does from that perspective. But there are times when the ball is out of system and you need to be able to wait for a bump set that's going to be high in the air and you got to run that down, get your feet to the ball and hit. That's so different than what you do in the middle. And so that transition, you know, is just going to take some time. And unfortunately, being a fall sport, we don't get that lead-up training period that the winter sports or the spring sports are getting in the fall before they ever get into their competitive season. And so, you know, we had 17 days of preseason, and then she just continues to learn and get better by the day. So I think those who saw her in person Friday, Saturday, saw how much she's improved already in that time and some of the potential and capability she has and is going to continue to have. But it's going to be a work in progress as she continues to get more comfortable. I was going to say, it feels like that that arm's got some potential to it, that she's got a lot of ability, and it's a matter of of harnessing everything. But like you kind of touched on it there, that this is not easy stuff to do on the fly, especially for somebody who's a freshman in college. Absolutely. And uh, especially if, like, for example, for her in high school, she didn't play any back row at all. And really the outside position, it's designed to be something you do in all six rotations. You're in the back row, you're passing, you're defending. And so we've got to get her up to speed in that capacity as well. And so, you know, Paige is shared. She kind of feels like times like she's the bingo balls in one of the old school bingo halls where they're, you know, turning the, the handle of this big, you know, bingo ball churner and then they pick a ball out and Paige is like that's how I feel at any given moment like pick a ball out and oh I've got him you know start on my right step or I need to extend my my elbow more or I need to you know there's just a, a litany of things that she's got going on through her brain at any given point in time so we're trying not to overwhelm her with too much stuff and yet you know it's hard not to at times given all the things that she has to continue to learn and process that's the next question you've got a lot of experience you've been doing this a long time so i've got to think you you've got an idea how to handle this with with a young player like this that you you suddenly maybe have to throw a little more on where you can throw it on her in a way that she doesn't feel like she's drinking through a fire hose that is certainly the goal, and uh, you know I think if we have a fault as a coaching staff when it comes to the development, that would be one of them, is that sometimes we lose sight of too much information can be worse than not enough information, and so we have to remind ourselves, hey, let's really focus on you know one thing today or one in, one A and one B, and that's it. Let's not overwhelm her with too much so that we, we do do exactly what you said, which is just bog down the whole process, and we... We don't get anything because she's so over-consumed with all the stuff that's rattling around in her brain. And, you know, I thought she did a good job. What I've been really trying to tell her to do is in those moments where she's being asked to go out there in a competitive setting, turn all that off and just play. 
and we'll worry about what we need to correct and how we need to get better when we get back to practice on Monday. That's not the time to be analyzing all the minutiae of the transition from middle to outside. Talking to UMB volleyball coach Jim Booz, when we chatted preseason, you had talked about your service game and, 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 and how important that would be as you guys went out and played this couple of tournaments to start the season. Uh, right now, through the 12 matches you've played, you're averaging 1.8 aces per set, which isn't bad. The problem is that you're averaging more than that in errors, er, service errors per set. Do you feel like you're you're making progress, or, or do you want to see more progress in that area? Yeah, I think that like the team in general across the board, we just need more consistency in that area. Um, the more misses than than aces doesn't really bother me because the level of competition you play is going to dictate how aggressive you need to be, and the more aggressive you are, the more likely it is you're going to have some misses along the way. If you watch high level men's volleyball, they they're okay with like a one ace to three error ratio because. If you allow a team to be in system every time, you're just going to eat the ball because of how athletic and hard guys are hitting at the Division One men's volleyball level. And even at the Division One women's level, you'll see all the time you know, teams missing a ton of serves, and that's because they, they know they have to be aggressive and make teams uncomfortable, otherwise it's too easy. With that said, I would like to see us eliminate what I would call some of the bad misses. We don't like missing in the net very often because you miss in the net, you eliminate any decision-making that can occur. When the ball is over the net, there's always the chance that the other side is going to play that ball. And so that improves the chances that you have of that miss serve becoming a better serve for you just because they have to make a decision on it. Um, you know, and just the timing of some of the mistakes we've had where, you know, we've had two, three in a row, or we've had a really long rally, and then we go back out and we dump the next serve, or we come out of a timeout, we've got all the momentum in the world, we missed the serve, you know, those kind of things that can be momentum killers for you. We just got to get better in those moments, but, you know, we're working every day, uh, despite what it feels like at times, and I'm sure from the outside looking in, people probably think, do they ever work on serving? Yeah, every day we're getting serving reps in and we're getting better at it, but uh, it's a work in progress for sure. When uh, Kristen May, your associate coach, was in studio a couple of weeks ago, I, I jokingly told her we've got to sit on the other side of the gym one of these weekends we come because I want to see what the signals are that she's sending to the server so I can try to figure out where they're supposed to put the ball because it's the one thing I never know. Yeah. And that is what she's doing, and she's yep. trying to hone in on specific areas of the court that we want to attack, whether it's because of the person that's there who we feel is a weaker passer than maybe the other two, or because of the formation they're in, and we can disrupt it a little bit by serving in a specific spot, or there's a seam between people that we're trying to attack and try to stress that communication between two players. And all that sounds great, and yet no different like than a catcher calling a pitch location. Yep. You can call it all you want. It, it really comes down to the execution of the actual skill. You know, so we can be calling a specific zone on the left side of the court, and there are times when the ball ends up on the right side of the court. And, so, and maybe it ends up on the right side of the court and ends up being an ace. And so it looks great. And yet, from the terms of what we were trying to do, it wasn't great at all, but the result was great. So it's, it's such a mixed bag from, a, from that standpoint. And, uh, you know, ultimately, it's just about making sure you're technically doing some good sound things, you're making good contact on the ball, and you're trying to apply some pressure. Augustana and Wayne State this weekend. You get Augie on Friday, 5 o'clock, ahead of the Hall of Fame ceremony over at Weber Music Hall. So let's talk first about the Vikings, because that's the first match. That's, your, that's what you're honed in on right now for the weekend. Yeah. Uh, Vikings come in with uh, the return of our senior last year, Sydney Lanou, as their graduate assistant coach. So that's going to be fun to have her back in the gym and, uh, 
you know, in, in Romano where she played for as many years as she did. Uh, that'll be great to see Sid. Um, in terms of Augustana, it's a little younger team. They had a really difference-making setter. Uh, they were running the show for the last four years, and she finally graduated. And, and the setter they have now is a little bit more physical. She's a 6'1 kid. She's been in their program for a few years, so she's certainly not you know, new, but it's kind of like going from an Aaron Rodgers to a Jordan Love. It's just going to be a different, a different look, a different style. Um, and then they lost their two starting outside hitters, which is always going to be big for a team. It just changes, you know, some of the things you do. So they've moved their big gun on the right to the outside, and she's done a really nice job. She hammers the ball. If you come watch on Friday, you'll see someone who hits a really heavy ball. Reminds me a little bit of Kate Lang, Kate Stearns back in the day when she would just let the arm go. Just a really heavy, heavy ball. But... Uh, you know, Augustana's record doesn't really truly indicate where they are as a team. I think the first weekend they were still trying to figure out what they were and what the plan was, and I believe they went one and three, and really they've kind of settled in since that point. And, you know, the start of their conference play has been tough in terms of their schedule, so some of the matches they've dropped have not exactly been uh, ones where you wouldn't expect them to potentially drop that match because of how good their opponent has been. So it's a good team. It's a challenging opening match. Certainly with what we have on hand on Saturday, it's a team we can't overlook, and we've got to really be focused on playing them. And, of course, Wayne State is in Saturday, number one team in the country, and, and we've chatted about them before, too. This is a team that won the conference last year, was favored to do so, or, or finished at the top of the conference. I should say this year, Concordia picked to win it, but Wayne might use that might be better than they were last year. I think so. I mean, they return pretty much everyone as well, but they move their, their OH2, their second outside hitter, to Libero, where she's more natural, um, and now have someone in at the OH2 position who's actually more of an attacker, who's a bigger part of their offense. So, you know, really I think they've gone from being a three-headed attack to more of a four-headed attack. Um, the right side doesn't get the ball a ton. She'll get it enough, and she's effective, does a nice job for sure. But, you know, their two middles are as good as there are at our level in, in, in Division Two. as good as I've really seen at our level at Division Two. They're both all-American level uh, hitting 400-plus type of middles who are getting the ball a ton. And, you know, their setter just runs a really safe, um, hittable offense where the ball is hanging there for them and the hitters are just really good about putting the ball in, in play every time and finding ways to score because of how physical they can be. This is a group of girls who play year-round because they're also all on their beach volleyball team in the off season. So Wayne is the only team in our league who has a beach volleyball program, and so when these girls are done in December, they go right into beach volleyball training, and so they're contacting the ball and working in the sand, and they're doing that all through the spring semester. And so the, their ability to control the ball, their ability to not make a lot of mistakes, their ability to handle the ball all the way from their middles down to their DSs, it's, it's really impressive to watch, and you know, Scott and Kim have done a really good job with that, that team, and it's as good a team as I've seen in our league, for sure. It's, it's very talented. And finally, uh, Jolene Hansen from the volleyball team uh, back in 1988-91, played for Patty Wolf. She'll be inducted into the Hall of Fame Friday night. I know you didn't coach her, you, haven't, you don't know her all that well, but you do know her daughter, Kendra Hansen, because she's your volunteer coach this year, oddly enough. Yeah, it's a pretty cool connection there. And, uh, you know, when we found out Kendra was coming to UMD to do her master's program, we definitely got on the horn right away to see if there's any way we could get her involved. Because, you know, she played for a major club in the cities, Northern Lights, and then went to Iowa and played in the Big Ten there. So certainly has some high-level experience. And 
Um, certainly with her mom being an alum, it was great to get her in Romano and helping out our program. And certainly she's not available as often as she'd like to be or we'd like her to be, given all of her academic uh, commitments. But, you know, when she's there, it's a great uh, influence on our girls, and it's a younger influence. You know, she's a, a recent grad, so she's a little bit more able to relate to what they're experiencing and the things they're going through and brings a perspective that isn't the old eyes that Kristen and I have who have always you know, been around this group and have seen this for years and years and years, kind of seeing it from a new perspective. So that's fun for us as a staff. I think it's fun for the girls to have that as well. Best of luck this weekend. All right, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you having me. Uh, hopefully we get the sun back out here for the weekend and uh, everyone enjoys uh, all the sporting events that are on tap at UMD this weekend. You got it. I'm with you. Jim Booz, head coach, UMD volleyball team, Bulldogs versus Augustana. That will be on Friday at 5, ahead of the Hall of Fame ceremony at 7.30 at Weber Music Hall, then 4 o'clock on Saturday versus Wayne State, the number one team in the land. 10.27 at KDAL. This is the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Grimm. We'll talk Minnesota basketball after this. We are professionals. We are family and friends. We are volunteers. We are community partners. We are a team dedicated to helping you succeed. We help protect and serve America's businesses. When you need us, we're here to help. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Rated A-plus superior by AM Best Company. This is the first official week of Gopher basketball practice, and men's head coach Ben Johnson says he's thrilled to have Parker Fox and Isaiah Enan cleared and practicing after they missed the previous two seasons with knee injuries. Maybe two weeks ago was the first time in two years we've had a full a full team, and the first time to be able to see those guys go five on five, and you look at it and you watch, and you're like, man, this is we were missing this for the first two years, and so it was good to have that back. You got physicality, you got two guys that know how to play, you can't put a price tag on that that are older experienced and and they're hungrier than ever i mean when you sit for two years and you watch you better be hungry and and they are and i think it's just elevated practice and, and what we've been able to do parker's game is athleticism is it slow coming back or has he got the lift that you want to see he's actually been pretty good he had a couple of dunks yesterday getting that pop back i think it's always good like anybody's going to be a work in progress once you get used to playing five on five with conditioning but i mean you can see it and you can just see he's, he's got a nose for the ball but he really understands how to play as an older guy should if you look at his numbers i don't care what level you're at i mean the dudes won a lot it shows when we do competitive stuff with his teams just finding ways to impact winning again the more you can add that it's kind of that season vet the better ben johnson and the gophers open the exhibition season with a game against McAllister on november the 2nd that's the golden gopher daily update i'm mike Graham. your twin ports home for twins baseball in the corner kdal Still plenty to come here on this Wednesday morning as we talk Vikings next. 0-3 start. Trade rumors with Kirk Cousins doesn't make any sense. What to make of how Kirk has played and how the offense has played, the turnovers. Plus, our guest, our next guest, Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, has got a book out next week. So plenty to talk about. Matthew Collar, our friend from Purple Insider, joins us next after a CBS News update. 1032 Bruce Siski Show. 610 103.9 KDAL. The Bruce Siski Show. That guy's driving me crazy. You know what's driving me crazy? You not getting the ball in the hole.
This guy sucks. On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAO. Ten thirty-six. No show tomorrow. Early Twins game means Brad's on at ten. Back on Friday, a couple more NCHC coaches. I believe it'll be uh, Chris Bergeron of Miami and David Carl of Denver with us on the radio show for Media Day a couple of weeks ago in St. Paul. That'll be heard on Friday. With us now from PurpleInsider.com, the great Matthew Caller. Good morning, sir. What is up? What is up? Uh, what a start to the football season, eh? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. So I listen to the athletic football show regularly with Robert Mays and, and Nate Tice, the uh, the son of Mike. And they t- were talking last week about Vikings v. Chargers and basically said that you know we think it's going to be a good football game that ends in the most painful way possible. They couldn't have been more right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, all off season, we listen to people talk about how the Vikings' one score luck couldn't continue, and everything else of the previous season. And you know, throughout those discussions, I thought, yeah, I mean, I definitely believe in regression to the mean, and I, I think that they actually already did regress halfway through the season after the Buffalo win. They were a 500 team, and that's probably who they really were. Uh, but this is more than regression. This is out of the Bible. I mean, what's happened to them in the first couple of weeks is insane. They've fumbled nine times and lost every single fumble. Uh, They've had opponents fumble numerous times and haven't recovered it. They've had the ball go in and out of K.J. Osborne's hands at the goal line for a pick. They've had it go in and out of T.J. Hawkinson's hands at the goal line for a pick. I mean, how often do you ever see a goal line interception or interception in the end zone? I mean, and it's happened to them twice already. So it's kind of a a hard team to evaluate because we know the weaknesses of this team. But going into the year, I kind of looked at the roster as like a 9 or 10 win team, not a team that starts 0-3 and we're talking about Kirk to the Jets or something. And the, the ironic thing is that their offense, I think, has been everything that it was advertised to be, and yet so many drives have been killed by nonsense, I mean, by fumbles or by – you know, random stuff. It's it's a it's a very very odd situation. But yeah, they needed that one though. They needed that bounce to go their way, and it certainly didn't. You talk about the the balls going off guys' hands for picks. How about the ball going off of Caleb Evans' hands, turning into a touchdown on Sunday? I mean, they've had everything. I know. I mean, that's that's what I mean. Is that it's just been kind of a, a comical, like in obviously a sick way for Viking fans. But I mean, this is. I mean, this is beyond uh, what you would have expected. But the thing is, too, when you give up 40 completions on, what, 47 passes or something to Justin Herbert, and he beats and destroys your blitz on play after play after play, you cannot cover Keenan Allen, you cannot pressure Herbert, and when you do, you know, he rolls out on third and 17 and makes the play. So, yeah, I mean, Caleb Evans did have the ball bounce right off his dome and right into uh, Josh Palmer's hands. But the play before that, you give up a third and 17 completion where Herbert just, you know, rolls out and fires a bullet. I mean, he was looking more like uh, Tom Brady, you know, in that game. So, yeah, it was, it's kind of weird because there's a lot to criticize. There's a lot of things that you can look at and be like, how would a defensive line like this ever win anything? Uh, you know, and, and even though the offensive line has graded well by PFF so far, a lot of that is playing from behind, getting four-man rushes. And every time that they've actually gotten beat, 
uh, it's turned into a strip sack or or a, or a bad sack in a big situation. So it's uh, yeah, it's been a very very bizarre start. But you can't you can't go zero and three. I mean, you know, there's been opportunities to win each one of these games, and they haven't done it. They haven't been able to overcome those problems, which is kind of emblematic of the Kirk Cousins era, where it's always some other reason. And it's and that reason is true, but it's like you needed one more play there, and it didn't happen. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. Uh, I want to ask about Kirk. I'm going to do that in a second. First, the defense. Uh, we saw him get carved up on the ground in Philadelphia. We saw Herbert, whether he was blitzed or not, it felt like he had all day to throw on Sunday, and they blitzed a lot when Herbert was going back to pass on Sunday. Like 80% of his dropbacks, whatever the number ended up being, a very, very high blitz rate, and it didn't generate a lot of success what is the sweet spot for this defense? Is there anything that they're good at? Because it doesn't seem like it. No, there's no answer. I mean, well, one thing I would give uh, the Chargers a lot of credit for, though, they have a great offensive coordinator and a very, very talented quarterback. And in my mind, one of the best route running wide receivers in the league. So you have to give them credit. They had a tremendous game plan. They knew exactly what Brian Flores was going to do. And when I look back at the tape, when the Vikings played off coverage, they ran little hooks and stuff in front of the cornerbacks the for seven, eight-yard completions. When they played tight coverage, they ran slants and ran away from the Vikings' corners and completed those passes. Like, they had an answer for just about everything, and Herbert got rid of the ball in 2.17 seconds, which is almost like catching it and throwing it instantly. I mean, they, they were just right on with the execution, with the game plan. There's a play at the goal line where Josh Metellus comes completely free and Herbert just slings it sidearm into the only spot where his guy could catch it and goes in for a touchdown. I mean, it was one of the best performances from a quarterback that I've seen in a while. Um, so there is that. But there is really no answer because unless you have a, uh, you know Aaron Donald trade in the works or something like that, they just can't pressure the quarterback with their front. It's not going to happen. Uh, Daniil Hunter cannot go one on five, and that's basically what it is right now. Um, so they send linebackers, and there's only so much those guys can do. And honestly, the, the corners can't play the football. I mean, a Caleb Evans having it bounce off him is not really that big of a surprise because I don't think even in all of training camp I ever saw him catch a ball. And then when you go back in college, he had zero interceptions. How, how does a college cornerback who's playing at Missouri have zero picks? But like he's, I think, a good athlete but can't play the ball. And Byron Murphy, he was playing through a hip injury uh, yeah, it was a bad day. I mean, he just got roasted over and over again. They needed someone to step up and make a play. And when they had a couple opportunities, you know, a guy gets a hand on Herbert or a guy gets a hand on the ball, uh, you're going to have to make him. Like, that's what this blitz type of defense where you're selling out all the time, that's what it requires. It requires a corner to step in front of a pass. Um, it requires them to, you know, to get the sack when they get the opportunity, and they didn't. And I don't know – who they're beating this way, but you know maybe the answer is Andy Dalton or Bryce Young, depending on who plays this week. Uh, Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, uh, Kirk Cousins. I, you know, I, if people go back on the podcast page and the times you've been on the show, I've been a great friend of the show, and we appreciate it. I think you could argue that you've been more critical of Kirk Cousins than I have, and I'm a Packers fan, so I don't know what's going on here. But what was your take on the end of game scenario on Sunday? It bothered me because it was the second time it happened in the game. They had a chance to forty some odd seconds. I granted no timeouts, but forty some odd seconds before halftime, and they looked disorganized with the ball. They couldn't get anywhere near field goal range. And then what happened at the end of the game might have been worse, obviously, because it, well, it was out of the game. 
Yeah, so this is sort of a, a Kirk Cousins staple is it's not Kirk's fault, right? Like a lot of times we've just walked out of these games where it kind of reminded me of a, a game in Seattle a couple of years ago where uh, they handed off on fourth and one, it got stuffed, and then Russell Wilson went down and scored a touchdown. And it was like, well, you know, Kirk made this mistake. Was it his fault? And no, it was the defense's fault. No, it was the play caller's fault. No, it was the whatever. And let's have a look at the results. Oh, yeah, they're losing a, bu- you know, a bunch of games or playing 500 football or whatever. It's kind of like there's always something, right? Uh, because there has been no real room for error, especially in the second half of the Kirk era when the defenses have been bad. So we always end up debating something involving Kirk. But the big picture here is that they've won nothing as a franchise with Kirk Cousins. And here we are again looking at, oh, my God, you have to be an outlier to get to the playoffs after starting 0-3. So more likely than not, you're going to talk about six years, two times of the playoffs, one playoff win. Like, this just doesn't work, right? I mean, I think that we've seen this many times before, and I know you're asking about the end of the game. That's another Kirk staple is it's not Kirk's fault, right? Like, it's, it's the, yes, Kirk could have had some situational awareness, understood that in his headset there was problems happening and just spiked the ball and then reset or whatever, but the coach told him not to, so there's someone else to point the finger at. It's, just, it's like, and then Kirk says after the game, I can do whatever I want, but doing whatever I want has consequences. And you're like, so you can't do whatever you want? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. It's just, but it's just a cla- it's like classic. I felt like I was just uh, going back in time to 2020, 2021 in the Zimmer era where after the game he's kind of you know saying, well, it wasn't my fault. It was the coaching. And like, okay, well, it looks like we're back, folks. So I don't know. I mean, after that, I just kind of wanted this era to end, even though I think that Kirk Cousins has actually played quite well in these games. But that's always the thing, right? He, like, he never plays horribly. That's why they're always in all these games. So – yeah, that was that was a bizarre situation, though, but not not atypical from what it's been with Kirk in Minnesota. Uh, Matthew, you've got a book coming out next week. It's called Football's a Numbers Game, Pro Football Focus and How a Data-Driven Approach Shook Up the Sport. If you watch the NFL, you've heard of Pro Football Focus, but you really go deep dive in, into the people that put this thing together, and it's become such a huge deal in football. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that people see PFF on social media, they see it on broadcast and everything else, but uh, the backstory to where it came from and what they do for teams is, is pretty much unknown. So um, two years ago, I started reporting on what they do, where they came from, how they impact the NFL, and uh, found things that I had absolutely no idea. Uh, the founder is from England and was just a random football fan who wanted to find out if offensive linemen were better than the media thought or worse than the media thought. And so he started creating games and then built this, basically this data empire that now impacts all 32 buildings. And uh, multiple people in the NFL said to me that this guy should be in the hall of fame for how much he's changed the way that football operates in the NFL. I mean, and that's just one part of it. I I sat down with Chris Collinsworth who owns PFF. If people didn't know that, and talked about how that came about, uh, which is also kind of a crazy story. And, yeah, I mean, the, the way that they built it through this team of people that now, and then created a system for the entire NFL to go into the system and look at data for, for anything. What coverage did the Vikings play on third down and shorts for the entire season? They're using this data to game plan. So when you hear a coach or GM say, well, we don't really worry about PFF or whatever, 
um, they're not telling you the truth. Uh, so there's a lot there's a there's a lot of stuff in there, and then just about you know how analytics has really changed the way football is operating and, and where it's headed from here. And there's certainly you know there's a there's a tie here because the story of Quasi Adolfo Mensa rising to become an NFL general manager. It, it, there, there's a lot of PFF involved in that, right? Oh yeah, that's completely right. Yeah, I, I talked with Quasi for the book, and I didn't know when I started talking with him that. Uh, PFF is essentially the reason that Quasi Adolfo Mensa is an NFL GM right now because he got to San Francisco as a researcher and started to shape the data, especially on the college side, um, to help them with their drafting and with their scouting. And that's how he made himself kind of a standout in their front office was being able to work with this PFF data. And uh, somebody told me that at the combine, after he got hired, he went to the PFF guys, they have meetings with teams and stuff, and said, you know, this, this is kind of this is kind of you guys put me here, um, and of course it's all his hard work and everything else. But uh, remarkable the way that he was able to see opportunity in the to work with it because obviously like everything they say is not gospel and it's not perfect and the grades aren't perfect and you and and they, and they will say that. But if you can contextualize them, if you can work with them and understand how they work. Uh, you can get a lot out of it, and that's exactly what Quasey did. So that was one of the cooler stories that I came across in the book. For sure. uh, that book, again, football's a numbers game. It's out Tuesday wherever you get your books. Matthews at purpleinsider.com. Subscribe today for great Vikings coverage in the building every single day. Enjoy the Adam Thielen revenge game Sunday, man. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bruce. Appreciate it. All right, Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. Again, the uh, book is called Football is a Numbers Game. It is out on Tuesday. Uh, if you're into you know, maybe understanding more about pro football focus, and I know it's maybe a niche audience, I get that, but this is certainly a quality read if you'd like to do that. 10.50, wrap things up in a moment. Wednesday morning edition, Bruce Siski Show, 610-103.9 KDAL. Our American Stories. This is how you do it. Weeknights on KDAL. I was about to bring the band back in. 10.59. I was looking outside and trying to decide if I could walk the lake walk here in 20 minutes, but I don't think so today. Drizzle and fog and clouds. Not a great day, but looking like it'd be nice into the weekend. More updates on that to come here as the weekend approaches. We are not on tomorrow. Early twins means early Brad at 10. Back Friday, a couple more NCHC coaches from Media Day a couple of weeks back in St. Paul. Brad's next. Have a great Wednesday. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. Hit us up on Twitter at Bruce Siski Show and let us know what you think. No, yes, no. Well, no, I, I crossed my mind. Visit KDAL610.com to podcast today's show anytime. What do you say? Listen to shows on demand and download for free. You can also subscribe via Spotify or your favorite podcast app. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. CBS News is up next. For more than 80 years, KDAL 103.9, W28, FBFM, and 610 KDAL, Delusive Superior, a Midwest communication station. KDAL.